I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Lightning Dog, the official podcast, is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Lightning Dogs is conceived as an all-ages property, but these behind-the-scenes conversations are not all-ages. Listen in at your own discretion. Sometimes a great idea is truly like a bolt of lightning, and sometimes, if you're lucky enough, you can capture the exact moment that it strikes. That's what happened for us one fateful night while recording an episode of Nerdy Show. We accidentally launched a concept that derailed the entire show, and in no time, our lives. We couldn't stop talking about our favorite action figures and B-movies while twisting them into strange creatures, weird adventures, and dog puns. Lots of dog puns. This is the story of Lightning Dogs, a journey steeped in the glory of 80s and 90s animation and sci-fi, where anthropomorphic dogs tear through the wasteland of a ruined Earth, battling mutants, miscreants, and the evil Glampire. Coming soon to small screens, comic books, and podcasts. Or at least, that's the goal. But how do you go from a crazy idea into a fully formed world of conflict and characters? How does a harebrained discussion become an animated series? That's what we're finding out firsthand. We've recorded the entire development of Lightning Dogs since day one. From the moment of conception to every world-building session and planning meeting, and the journey is still ongoing. Tune in as we create the world of Lightning Dogs live! I'm Cap. I'm Tony. And I'm Doug. And uh, we're the, uh, the the three administrative figureheads of the Lightning Dogs creative team. The Bow Wow Brain Trust. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I hate that. That's um, what makes it so genius. Beautiful. I don't... I that's, that's, that's what crazy people say. That's what mad doctors say. Oh, you hate that? That's what makes me so genius. I didn't say I was genius. I just said it was genius. These things... They you created it. Whatever. All right, moving did I, on. Did I? This is it. The first Lightning Dogs meeting not being recorded as an episode of Nerdy Show, but its own thing. We still didn't know exactly how or where our behind-the-scenes recordings were going to materialize, but we knew we weren't about to give up on the chance to document this project from the moment it was created to whatever the future holds, ideally an animated series. The goal at hand? To finalize the world and characters of the Lightning Dogs to the extent that we felt we had enough to create a pitch bible and a story bible. The story bible being the tome of information creators use when developing and writing a show, and the pitch bible being the abbreviated version of that, used to sell the idea to a studio, an investor, or someone who might potentially devote time, money, or resources to a project. To kick off this bold new era of Lightning Dogs development, we've done something we'd never done before, given ourselves assignments. What we've done is we wrote down all the main Lightning Dogs names, Dingo, Angela, Pierre, Nerissa, Kid, and Kane Corso, we wrote down numbers by each of them. 
we took a d6 and each of us rolled for two characters and we let fate decide which of us would write the basic outline for that character story and this is not the final character story we actually have the three of us have no idea what the other has written and we're going to share those with each other for the first time here on this episode this is a surprise for everybody and then debate how we're going to expand and change and rework into what the final story bible write-ups will be the final versions of the characters And then an additional assignment that I gave everybody was to come up with a location from anywhere in the in the world of lightning dogs, the wasteland, whatever. We also don't know what that's going to be. So I don't actually remember who's doing what, but I drew Angela and Kane Corso, and I've come to the show today with my write-up for Angela. I got Kid and Dingo, and I have come with my write-up of Kid. And I got Pierre and Narisa, and I wrote something for Pierre. Who wants to start? I'll go first. What the hell? Um, All right, pack leader. So, um, Angela, I got a last name for her that's not Basset Hound. The hell it isn't. (laughs) I don't know if you guys did last names or not. I didn't do any last names, but I just because I assumed like the turtles, they just we only need to know them by their first names. Well, I figure we got Kane Corso. Kane is his first name. Corso is his last name. It sets a precedent for everybody but Kid, whose, you know, real name is, well, I'm sure she doesn't like it when people use it, because it's probably, like, something really... Didn't I tell you my my pitch for what her name should be? I remember there was one. I remember liking it. You actually did like it? I I think so. What was it? Studio. Oh. (laughs) You know what I thought about (laughs) that one? To give credit to that name, because it's, like, it's something that people are always like, what the hell does it mean? What is it all about? And then I'm like, why don't we actually give it a meaning? And that idea came to me when I was shopping i was grocery shopping i was in the store and i was just thinking about lighting dogs and that song came on the radio while i'm walking through like aisle seven and i'm like wait a minute man i i wish i like, wrote they it they can't see me shaking my head <laughs> i think i must have had an idea or something i wish i wrote it down because think about the studio is it's not a particularly catchy name unless you're phil collins but i kind of wonder if maybe it's actually too cool for what kids name should be it may actually be like Oh, they'd be like, Susudio. Well, that's kind of a weird name. It's not bad, but it should be like uh, Bernice or something like that. You know, something I'm pretty sure if mundane. anybody's name was Studio, they would hate it just as much as if you had the phone number 8675309. Tony, did, did, you, did you come up with a name for Kid? Did that happen? I didn't. I am, I am completely on board with calling her Studio. And I have a way of kind of incorporating it into the background that I had come up with. Uh, but we've thrown a stick and we're chasing it. So let's get back to the master who had it in the first place. Angela and her last name. Angela Bonehart. She's 40 years old. Her build is short and stout. If you were to sum up her personality in, uh, in one word, it would be bold. Her rank is Sergeant First Class. Her weapon of choice is long-range rifles and hand-to-hand. And of course, as, as you dear listeners know, her power set, her lightning dog power set is enhanced strength and durability. I ended up with a, uh, a sizable history for her and then also a, a general paragraph about her personality. The story Bibles don't need to have a lot of detail, but what I told everybody was just generally to do what feels right, not to limit how much you're going to write about this character because there might be something brilliant. Don't stop until you're ready to stop. So I took my own advice and I didn't do that. And um, here's what I wrote about Angela's backstory. Angela grew up in the most population-dense city on home. She wasn't on the bottom of the food chain, but she was close. Angela only had two things going for her, her sharp nose, perfect for sniffing the choicest scraps, and her stubbornness. No beating was too hard. No goal was too insane. She was never quick enough to be a thief, but she was a master at sniffing out secrets and hidey holes. She was tough, the stoutest of her siblings who quickly learned how to take a punch and deal it back. When she was in her early teens, she discovered a twinge of purpose outside of her survival. A wealthy dog's daughter had been kidnapped. Angela was surprised to catch a distinct too-clean scent shortly before word got out and the police began swarming the barrio. 
She thought she might get a reward and track the girl. Angela rescued her, only to find herself in over her head and pursued by the kidnappers. The adventure saw her first time using a gun and relying on her nose to not just keep her one step ahead, but to make unlikely shots. The kidnapped girl's father was grateful, and the police officer who eventually discovered the girls was impressed. Angela was placed in an academy and eventually trained as an officer, determined to make the world she grew up in better and safer. But the war broke out, and all that changed. There wasn't much left of the city, least of all the lower zones. Angela became a seasoned soldier and fought alongside Dingo in the last great conflict with foreign powers on home. They met during a tactical strike in the jungles. Dingo was an academy star, but green in the field. He was the last survivor in his platoon in some part due to his loner nature. Angela lost her team when her chopper was shot down. She was the only survivor. Together, the naive loner and the bullheaded marksman formed a powerful team and proved instrumental to their forces taking out the most prominent enemy stronghold in the region. After that, Angela took Dingo under her wing, almost like a son, and groomed him. Their personalities fueled one another. Dingo, the all-star point man, setting them up while Angela knocked them down. When Angela was offered a position in special ops, she recommended Dingo as well. The two haven't always served together, but when the Lightning Dog's surgical strike team was formed, their complementary records brought them together again. And her personality is, uh, though she's hard, one of the only things that's got Angela through her tough scraps is her humor. She's not unfamiliar with verbal cutdowns and sarcasm. She's seen terrible things, and her solution is to punch that terrible thing in the face, then say something smug. There was nothing about that that I particularly object to and is going to go a long way to kind of informing where I was going with Dingo. It's funny because I was kind of thinking Academy Star, but didn't realize that I was thinking it until you said it. <laughs> that was just one of those things that was lurking in my subconscious. And there's a lot of that, that that makes sense that ties into a lot of the things we've discussed and kind of the relationships that we've been alluding to in these, these previous episodes. So I dig it. I dig Angela Bassett Hound's backstory. Yeah, I would say the same. The only thing uh, is I was surprised at the amount of detail you went in with, like, her first little adventure and stuff, which was which was a lot of fun. I'd like to save world building for the future microscope game that we're going to do, but I'm intrigued at the suggestions of some war on the home planet and who's fighting who and how did it all get started sort of thing, but that was cool. Yeah, to elaborate on what Doug said there, in a future and near future installment, we plan on playing a role-playing game called Microscope, which is, it's not a conventional role-playing game, it's, it's more of an exercise for world-building. And uh, we, we plan to do it for both the Wasteland and for the Lightning Dog's home. When I recorded the monologue from our previous episodes of a general prepping the Lightning Dogs for going into the breach, as it were, it felt right to mention that if this should get into the wrong hands and then consider what are the wrong hands on home and that if the country that's deploying the lightning dogs didn't have reason for a military, then they wouldn't really have the characters that we have now. So there must have been something for them that to fight they were in. Doing. Yeah. Because it's all well and good to say that Angela and Dingo know each other from the various conflicts that they've been in, chasing sticks and... and... <laughs> trying to find the ball that wasn't thrown. That's that's Angela's first great mystery. Who <laughs> threw the ball? Where did it go? Yeah, I, the I did. answer, it was in his hand the whole time. <laughs> Is that a commentary about the weapons of mass destruction that weren't in Iraq? <laughs> it's whatever you want it to be, man. It's whatever you want it to be. That's the power of good art. On the surface, it's just a joke about some dog. But if you dig deeper, it's layers. It's like a parfait. God, parfaits are so good. I did get caught up in that earlier story and thought, well, wouldn't this be fun to tell someday? But it felt like when you have somebody in like a, in a extreme poverty scenario, they don't get to a point of prevalence magically. There's got to be some kind of a struggle. There's got to be some kind of an, an adventure. 
and I didn't feel right writing. And then and then somehow she lifted herself up from the muck, you know? And <laughs> Now, you'll leave that to me with my backstory for kids. <laughs> I pivoted my webcam so you, so you guys could see the TV behind me. Can you guys tell what's playing, what movie this is? Do any of you recognize uh, this? There's a man in a beret. It's red, and it looks really familiar. This is uh, Rambo First Blood Part 2. Oh, um, yeah, of course. Yeah, and I bring it up because when we were going to divvy out who was going to tackle what, I thought, okay, if I was going to do Angela, I would definitely want to have a backstory similar to John Rambo, lone survivor. She's, like, <laughs> she's seen some like really tough stuff, is hardened because of it, but isn't completely broken. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I, I always felt that that was a good archetype for what she'd been through. No, and especially uh, the other thing that you alluded to with Dingo, because you, you, you did like almost a half bio for Dingo in Angela's bio there, Cap. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Because there's some, I mean, there's some really good stuff there. It adds an extra layer of complexity for me to kind of think about when I'm writing Dingoes that because he was kind of this lone wolf type character, well, lone person, because, you know, if there was a lone wolf, he probably would have been a wolf. Uh, (laughs) I mean, that's almost that's a real case of survivor's guilt. And Angela being a sole survivor of these other atrocities could lead to one of the reasons that they bond when he doesn't with other people. Just as an idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty solid for Angela. As we're doing microscope, we'll have that in front of us, and we'll kind of keep a couple of those things in mind as we're as we're putting it together. Kind of figure out what the war is, what it was being fought over, who it was being fought between. I mean, it could be as simple as, and this is just off the top of my head, it could be as simple as different dog breeds. There are those that do well together, and there are those that don't, like the herding breeds versus the hunting breeds versus the breeds that were bred specifically just for show. Those could be like the upper echelon, like the the Pekingese and whatnot. Just all toy breeds. <laughs> no, but then the toy breeds have their own secret weapon, being the terriers, because they're about the same size. I'm bringing the terror terriers in here somewhere. I'm I, not letting that die. You know, I, it's funny because I'd always thought to myself, I don't want to have heavy-handed racial analogs. There's so many different dog breeds. They're not going to be racist to each other to that extreme. But you, you raise an interesting point of the different varieties of types of dog mm-hmm. and all that. And that, that maybe maybe it has merit there. But that's just something we're going to have to explore and decide no, whether or not. That's something to flesh out. Yeah. The only other note I was going to add is a um, question about her military ability, because her lightning dog power is being super strong, dense, and able to take a beating. I don't know if the ranged like weapons, like a sniper rifle, were you thinking sniper rifle? Like she's like at a great distance it, is what she's best at? It was something we talked about. There was a time where we were trying to give her like eagle eye kind of abilities, and it seems sort of redundant. I'm I'm fine ditching her as a sniper. If she's already, you know, I mean, I, I indicated in there that she is a brawler. She could just be a straight up ram- CQC like, badass. Smaller and denser than Wolverine Rambo type. That could be it for her. And that's probably, that's, 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 yeah. that's fine. I figured she was like, in terms of Rambo Wolverine, the way like I could easily see her being the dog that rolls around in the mud so that she's in disguise when she's behind enemy lines. Right. <laughs> and, Whether uh, or not well, she actually is. Well, here's the thing right. though. We did say early on that she was an infiltrator type, which would mean that like, you know, range would have to be a thing for her, whether it's crossbow or sniper rifle. If we're deploying a military team in unknown terrain, someone absolutely needs to have an expertise geared towards sniper rifles or some kind of, you know, rifle of uh, of some kind. The reason why I bring it up is because it's like you have someone who's really skilled at sniper rifles from far away, but their superpower is literally to get in there and punch you in the face. So where does she belong? When the shit hits the fan, where do they want her to be? I want to hear what you had written for Pierre, but super speed and a sniper rifle would kind of fit well together. Because it's something where he can close distance or get to distance 
in a hurry. Super speed is good for recon. Recon and distance go well together. So if we were to think about our three lead military folks being a Wetworks team, Dingo would be our, our Hannibal from the A-team, where he's the guy, he's good no scrap, he knows what he's doing, but he's the planner. He's a big picture kind of guy. Angela is our, our close quarters. You know, I, I need a grenade to go off. Lacking that, I'm going to send an Angela. And then Pierre's the one who helps kind of set everything up. He's the one who comes back with the information for Dingo to make a decision and deploy Angela as he sees fit. I feel like <laughs> being good at sniper rifles and then being able to run and tap the guy on the shoulder before they get hit by the sniper rifle is maybe a little too overpowered and a little too roadrunner. Well, I'm not saying necessarily that sort of thing, but in terms of him moving from like point A to point B to point C to point D and being able um, to establish that he's looking at something and then by the time someone's looking to see him, he's gone. He's somewhere else. Here's where I thought we were going with Angela. She has a little strength, but she's not going to punch somebody through a wall. She's maybe going to make them dent against the wall. Well, you can't, like, even if the Hulk threw me against a wall, the wall's not going to dent. I'm going to dent. <laughs> right. Like, I, I, like, the way Tony drew her, I pictured Angela being the one who could, she's the one who runs through the wall. Like, if one of the Diamond Dogs picked her up and threw her, she would go through the wall and break the wall. Yeah. But she's, like, a little, she, she's basically a little wrecking ball, but not that she could literally lift a building, you know. But yeah. It wasn't me, it wasn't me that said it this time. Somebody else called her a wrecking ball. It makes me so happy. Uh, I, I've been reading her powers as, there's a bonus strength because it's, it's needed to balance everything out, but generally as durability. So, for example... She can get beaten up, but she can still be swarmed really easily. She can't just, you know, throw a bunch of punches around and be clear. Let's say if she was a video game character and let's say she was still using range attacks, she would be a range shooter with a high defense, which would make sense because... My only argument there is, again, to Doug's point, her super durability means that she would throw herself more into the fray. The, the distance with the ability to take a punch doesn't really gel. There's some cognitive dissonance there, mm -hmm. but... I mean, she doesn't need to be super strong. She's also our most experienced person. She doesn't need to hit you that hard. She just needs to hit you in the right place. And because she can not worry about taking a punch, she will lean into something that other people might shy away from. We might be just overthinking what her role on a special forces team would be. She's just If she was a member of a special forces team way before anyone else was a lightning dog, what's to say that she had to be a sniper or an explosive expert? She's just a Navy SEAL, basically. And then... Let's be serious. She's experienced with all of it. You know, it's like oh, yeah. if you if you hand her a sniper rifle, I'm not going to expect her to say, what do I do with this? Like or if you hand her a knife, she's not going to say, what do I do with that? She's she's kind of the overall expert and she probably has the most experience out of everybody with every kind of weapon. But I think it's hard in terms of her primary role on the team. I would just imagine she's the main muscle like she's like the shock trooper. Like Dingo might be the leader. and They're like, all right, Dingo, assemble your team. He's like, I want her right next to me because. She's not only going to give me advice, she's also going to be expert in pretty much anything where if anybody's lacking, she'll pick up the slack. And since we don't know what we're walking into, I'll give her an assault rifle and she's next to me because they don't know if they're going in close quarters, far away, whatever. And we could then save a specialty for someone else because I think she's the all she's the jack of all trades. She's the all around expert more so than anyone else, I would think. If we feel that that can work that doesn't imbalance her or if it feels like she has a good dynamic within the focus of the group as a whole, then that's fine. I'm down with that. If I was pressed for what her expertise is, I would say mid-range weapons, like assault weapons, laser weapons, as we would say, mm -hmm. um, and her survival skills would be like the, the biggest things. For a second there, I was thinking, how would you make a laser shotgun? Because we're talking about all these crystal weapons and shooting out lasers and shit. 
and then I thought to myself, oh, a cracked crystal. It's where it doesn't focus properly, and well, instead that, gives a that's, wide spray. That's going to backfire at you is what that's going to do, but um, I'd say it's all, it's all in the nozzle, man. You know, it's, it's, it's how many refractors does it have? You know, you stick a lens in there. All right, um, so that's, yeah. that's Angela. Kid it Shall up. We... Tony, you're, you're a born kidder. I am a born kidder. Ugh. Even I make me puke in my mouth. That's okay. <laughs> Name, kid. Her age, I put is 17. We hadn't really addressed where she'd be, but I chose 17 because it was just old enough to where she'd start to consider herself an adult. But even in the eyes of the law, she wouldn't be necessarily kind of lending into that feeling of her wanting to be more than she is. Build, lean, scrawny even. Personality, somewhat abrasive and sarcastic with undertones of needing approval. Her rank is civilian slash orphan. Her weapon of choice, battery grenades. And her power set generates a persistent electric charge that increases when she gets agitated. And then I did not quite go as in-depth as Cap. Just kind of more did some, some highlights here. Despite living on a planet called home, kids' life has contained very little that could be called comfortable. Orphaned at a very young age, she's made an art form out of falling in with the wrong crowd. Never for the nefarious deeds being done by said groups, oh no, Kid was seeking that sense of community that comes from running with a pack. With her attempts at interaction and with her present a constant disappointment, Kid turned to the past for solace. Particularly in the legacy of the Masters, their culture, their technology, she studied it all at every opportunity. She dresses as their teens did, styles her fur as their youth did, and does everything in her power to bring the Masters back. She believes they're still out there, just trying to find a way to come home. So how did she wind up on this mission? Was it as simple as getting busted for cracking one too many consoles and being in the right detention center when an expert was needed? Or did she orchestrate the whole scenario in order to visit a place that feels more like home than home ever did? It's an interesting implication there. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that her rank is orphan. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the military recognizes it. The only thing I would say is that um, we knew that we wanted to be obsessed with master culture, but I guess a better question, I don't want to, again, I don't want to dip into the world building, but how much of the master culture is Survive. known? Like, I figured there'd still be a lot of people who may not have even believed in the masters to begin with. It's irrefutable, right? Like, everything that they have, their entire accelerated culture is based on the fact that there was stuff left behind, and they didn't need to invent a semiconductor because they'd, they'd found them, like you find arrowheads, you know? To that point, it can be one of those things where people acknowledge the presence of the Masters, but they have no idea what they were like. And what better to start buying into the hype than a kid with no place that she feels she belongs? Right, right. Like, so I think like that, for sure. Any scrap of, of, of information she's treating as gospel. Any, anything like, oh, this is how they dress, this is how I'm going to dress. And it kind of also would explain why we've got her in this, like, hoodie and jeans and more traditional 90s wear. I mean, I know it was because as we were talking about the character, it was just we wanted to have a character that was the 90s vomited onto the page. But we've also drawn pretty much everybody else in more futuristic gear or in something that represents a style not necessarily of Earth, but influenced by it. Whereas with Kid, this is straight up street clothes. Well, also pretty much everybody's, you know, military. So they're all wearing a uniform. The ones that aren't, I mean, Kane Corso, he's just he's just he's a moody bastard. So he's going to dress like a moody bastard. I just figured Kid's overall style before she gets to Earth is because she's an outcast, not because she really likes master culture. Right. Like and if she, you know, it's, it's that why does wearing a hoodie and jeans have to be dressing like a human? Why wouldn't they just have that on their own? And, you know, having punk rock hair and earrings, I figure that's just because she's the outcast orphan. But then once she gets to Earth, cause she, and she is obsessed with master culture, but once she gets to Earth, She's like, wait a minute, what's this music they listen to? Because I don't know how she would have had access to their music or movies or anything like that. 
but that's when she can really like that's like her calling you know it's like if she was drawn to masters before that's why she's an expert in their technology to hack their stuff but then mm-hmm. when she gets to earth that's the main reason she wants to go because she wants to hear like there's there's more stuff about them like let's let's let's, let's like, get to it I, I view kid as a cyberpunk character and Mm-hmm. So she's angry. That's largely the, the most motivating factor of, of any teenage cyberpunk character. And she's like any punk rock person. You don't dress with the intention of a certain kind of conformity, yet at the same time you do. And I think that with Kid and the technology, it's got to be a little bit more a little bit more abstract. The dog's technology is built on the backbone of the master's technology. The master's technology, which depending on you know what they've found, what they've recovered fully intact, imagine the technology's got different levels of separation. So kid's a hacker, and she's hacking the dog stuff is like, uh, you know, it's like a baby's toy. You gotta use your hands. So then she, she goes deeper and deeper until she cracks into some level of like government core stuff that actually, it's, it's appropriated by the government. It's linked into their network, but it isn't but even... But it's not something they did. Yeah. I figure, if, it, just for the sake of example, why not say the stuff that she hacks into, like if, again, if their technology is built upon the old uh, master technology, if this was a master outpost planet, you know, back in the day, there was a small settlement that was happening, or even a large settlement that was happening. She digs so deep, she uncovers ancient hard drives that the current dog culture is built on top of that the government very well knows about, but the public doesn't know about this. So one day she's just hacking away and she starts reading an email and is like, this is worded really weirdly, but that's because it's an email from the ancient humans back and forth from Earth to wherever. And she's like, they're talking about a settlement? Like what? Like what is this? And she's able to like get in that, like see it from the perspective of the humans and, and is able to relate to that. And that's when the government finds out and they're like, Someone's hacking the whatever system, the master systems. And it's like, we can't let this word get out. Arrest her. And then how could you possibly hack that in from your phone, you know, or whatever? And that could just prove that she's the expert. But now she knows even more about master culture. Now, granted, that's a throwaway story. The point being, I don't think she should wear or act a certain way just because the masters did it. Rather that she finds herself relating to it the deeper she digs. She's going to get thrown into the Mad Max universe and be like, oh, there's all this funky stuff that I as an anger youth can relate to and start like appropriating that in a lot of ways kids creativity and kids ingenuity will be the thing that ultimately launches the lightning dogs into appropriating more stuff from their scenario and building their you know makeshift cars out of all these different parts and everything you know that's her hacked together personality is the sort of thing that's inevitably launches all that like she she's the one who sees the possibilities of, of appropriating stuff from everywhere that's how I'd feel. And, and, and just that we don't know how much about the master she really knows. I mean, I just assumed that she had bits and pieces here and there and found it very fascinating, much in the same way like we only understand so much about ancient uh, uh, Aztecs. You know, we only know so much. But if you were, had a chance to jump through a Stargate and go to an Aztec planet, you'd be like, holy shit. That sounds a little far fetched to me. Mm. Mm. Oh, it hurts. <laughs> All right, Doug, you're up. Pierre. Okay. So for Pierre, I wrote, name Pierre, rank is sergeant, age is four and a half, which is 31 in dog years. (laughs) His build is tall, lean, and athletic. And under the profile is where I put, like, I I almost started to make it, like, a psychological profile that someone wrote about him as opposed to, like, an actual (laughs) story. I mean, it kind of started that way, but you'll see. Um, Anyway, I wrote, quick-witted, confident, opinionated, loyal but stubborn, 
calls it like he sees it. He's not afraid to sass back because most of the time he's right. He's often the only one willing to say what everyone else is already thinking. His sharp tongue can get him into trouble a little quicker than it can get him out of it. But when it comes to personal matters and his feelings, he likes to play things close to the chest. Most likely using humor as a defense mechanism. After all, he's got a reputation to uphold. His hair is important to him, but not to the point of narcissism. He always seems hungry. <laughs> he signed up for the Lightning Dogs because he wanted some adventure, and he didn't have the patience to sit through schooling required to become an astronaut. He's an expert in paw-to-paw combat, highly skilled in melee weapons, more than proficient at both light and heavy laser weapons, and an exceptional all-around athlete. At first, this mission seemed like a dream come true. Once it became obvious that they were stuck in the wasteland, Pierre has since become a little more irritable and restless. He doesn't like being stuck in the same place for too long, but there is a small silver lining. He was never sure if he believed in the Masters or not, but now that he knows that they're real, he's actually relieved that they were flawed mortals just like him. He feels much more comfortable being able to relate to them that way, through their cars, music, etc. He may not be going home anytime soon, but he's content with being one of the first dogs to explore this planet and understand the Masters as they really were. Yeah, that's pretty much everything I was picturing. Yeah, that feels, that feels right. Like the nod to his impatience, which kind of ties into him wanting to get places fast. Gotta go fast. He's, he's Sonic, the, Sonic the Poodle. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. What these conversations have been making me think is that maybe we should be prioritizing microscope like maybe before our next volley of uh of of character write-ups or better idea of the world yeah because i think the the, when we do the world building that will definitely influence the characters backgrounds as well so you think maybe like a microscope on the home planet and figuring out the lightning dogs's place in it then figuring out the wasteland planet and then the villains places in it yeah that that seems logical and then kind of we'll use that to inform what we've already written and then take our next volley and write because you know, with the exception of, of getting Angela, I feel like we've left a couple of the more important characters for the second volley with Kane Corso being who we've kind of hinted him to be as this, this pseudo-antagonist and with Dingo being the, the leader. It's good to have more of what can inform where they came from and where they're going. Yeah, and, and you know, with, with the dog home world, I guess we're at a point where we're building these characters. It, it has become actually quite important to know something about that. With the wasteland, we can continue to make it up. It doesn't really matter. We don't need to. We don't. It matter or it matters less. Well, the wasteland is where we're going. Home is where we came from. Right. Exactly. So that does point to being a strong factor. Um, and then we got to uh, ask ourselves: when we assemble what's going to be our final pages for the story bible, what shape do we want them to take? Do we want them to be as concise as a traditional story bible would be, or do we want to in- create an equal amount of back matter for every character? 
personally, I'd say stick with concise, but to have that back matter as, as something that is at least informing us, it, include like the, the highlights of what's going on. For example, you know, because yours was the most in-depth, the fact that she came from, from poverty and rose up, the fact that she's got that bond with Dingo for being survivors keep those involved but not necessarily and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then eventually just release each character's bio as a short story when we introduce our young readers series of novels <laughs> dingo in the time before the lightning angela Ugh. last name not basset hound <laughs> yeah i didn't come up with a, with a last name for uh pierre but um do we want to go over Locations? Yeah, locations. So we'll go back. Cap, if you're, did you have, sure. did you have a location? I also had, um, I had a thought, and I'm not sure if this thing and the location could be two separate things, but I had an idea for the wasteland. What I've been telling everybody in regards to continuing to elaborate on the world of the lightning dogs and everything, to not let it stagnate, to try to keep that same energy that we have when we first conceptualized it and came up with all these crazy ideas, to go crazy, to look at older action figure lines like Masters of the Universe and, and everything that uh, Mirage did for Ninja Turtles, whether it was the role-playing guides or the turtles themselves or the comics or whatever, the action figures, to go crazy to come up with weird ideas and try to keep the wasteland as creative and fun as it always has been and not just get stuck on our ways and, and figure out like what Halloween Jack is like again and again and again and again until we've <laughs> you know just run him into the ground. Into the ground. So in contribution to additional crazy ideas, we, we should look at different gangs occurring in the wasteland beyond Halloween Jack's gang. And I was thinking about how about, how about a, a gang called the Shakespeare's? There are two ways that you can take that. There's either the hitherto's and thou's and these or the individual who Shakespeare. No, not the latter. It's kind of like the different gangs and the warriors and so on. Or you could look at them as like the Jokers in uh, Batman Beyond. They, they've found a, a, an item of previously existing culture, they've attached themselves to it, and they've perverted it into their own. Imagine a Mad Max-style gang mashed up with the extreme frilly collars and all that, but also on motorcycles in, in the dirt with crazy wigs, and they're also monsters. But Greetings, they, my lady. But they'll, they'll How wouldst thou like to meet thy maker on this fine eve? I don't know that that's how they would talk, but it would definitely be with a certain amount of Shakespearean pomp. And they might call themselves, instead of calling themselves a gang, they would call themselves a troop. And it'd just be, you know, a, a, a weird, vaguely threatening, but mostly comedic kind of problem to deal with. Anyway, so my location comes with some illustrations. It's called the Echo Building. And I, I haven't exactly validated it yet, how it's possible that such a thing still exists in the wasteland. But imagine, if you will the Art Deco stylings of the Chrysler building from the Gargoyles Up dumped in a desert wasteland where that's all that's sticking out of the ground. You've got some weird Deco monster statues coming out of the ground and then big, shiny, except in this case rusted, stainless steel spire, all the windows blasted out, and it's, it's run down and it's been turned into a fortress. And so what you have is the main entrance is like a big busted open window cavity that's been appropriated with, you know, iron doors like Jabba's Palace or whatever. And, you know, they've attached spikes to the side. But this fortress is the top of a skyscraper. And, and then and it goes down 40 stories into the ground because, you know, it used to be it used to be a fucking skyscraper. Um, and it may have been called the Deco Building at one point because of its Art Deco design, but uh, but it, it lost the, the fell off. Yeah. And so now it's now it's the Echo Building, which is emphasized by the fact that you know, it's very loud inside. 
Because because I mean, could that be where where Wolfman is uh, being broadcast from? I think Wolfman should be somewhere way more desolate. When more, uh, more desolate than a skyscraper buried in a desert? Well, no, because this is a fortress. I'm hesitant to say this is Glampire's keep because it's maybe not nice enough, but. This is the lair of something really like either either like a, a you know a mob boss of of the wasteland or gangs or some kind of like a city like an indoor city or something like that. It's bigger than Wolfman. Wolfman's like you find a patch of dirt and you're like you start digging and you get a you find a hatch and you crawl into the hatch and you go through all these sub chambers and then all of a sudden you know you you have whatever whatever the Wolfman episode ends up being. But this one this is something considerably more serious. Obviously, there's a lot of thought that I haven't put into it yet. I just, all I have in, is an exterior, but it, it has a lot of uh, a lot of possibilities. So it could be it could be a whole city. It could be um, a fortress. It was definitely a fortress to some extent, but uh, there's there's a lot we could considerably do with it. Okay, cool deal. I don't have a specific location that I was concepting. I had started to I was wanting to, to do something with the Lightning Dogs uh, home base with a, with them being kind of being in a power plant. But another concept, just kind of a more broad idea struck me and I, I kinda thought about that and kind of as as we've talked about locations, a lot of the regions we have discussed have largely been coastal regions, either in, in Japan, which is essentially just a series of coasts. Uh, Antarctica and everything that I've I, that I've pictured has been close to the ocean, at least within a couple hours thereof. But there is so much in the U.S. alone that is away from that. So in this apocalypse, what would what would happen to like Iowa? What would happen to Ohio? What would happen to these these central regions? And what would grow out of that? What would have happened to the civilizations that were there? Would we have these more intact towns, intact cities? So mine was more just thinking of, of middle America and kind of what was going on that would have been more removed from what I picture to be the centralized kaboom. So a lot I, of food for thought. There, I think there's a lot of potential there for um, if you have classic Main Street USA, mostly intact except for no people there. It'd have that old west ghost town kind of feel to it where it's sort of frozen in time and it's one of the best glimpses at master life that they could probably get a you know get a glimpse of just having to look when they, especially if they're looking for a new base of some kind and it's mm-hmm. just for the sake of example let's say glampire is based on the west coast because that's like uh, silicon valley and stuff if, if they decide okay well let's start heading east and they find themselves in middle america and they're going through small town kansas usa and there's, you know, like cars still in front of parking meters with the windows blown out. And they're just getting a, like a glimpse of like general stores that so you don't like that, that sort of thing. But I mean, of course, mm-hmm. a, a little bit of modern technology thrown in for good measure. But uh, I don't think that think that, that the imagery could be very compelling there. And we got to ask ourselves in a lot of ways, you know, what is left? Because even when I started designing the Echo Building, I was like, well, hey, if it's been a thousand years, none of this is going to be up still. But it looks so cool. We got to do it. And I, I think that when, whenever I was thinking about like realistically what would be left in actuality, it would be nothing. But I think since we're playing in the realm of sci-fi, we could just say the crystals preserve everything, or the or that the crystals slow down the natural decay of things that would help it form. Like, oh man, buildings that have any wood in it should be rotted away. It's like, well, yeah, but it slows down mold and it slows down bacteria and it slows down whatever. I mean, it, we, it's any I, number of excuses because I guess sci-fi. you're right. We'd forego acid rain, but if the world has largely been turned into an arid landscape, then the arid landscape would effectively, I, I think, like, most stuff would keep. The pyramids kept, you know? Like, yeah, and even then, it's like, how much is it 
is it all desert or have we turned into a desert planet? Because that doesn't seem likely with, with as much ocean would be left. Well, that kind of like, goes with, with my location, uh, ties in, answers that question. Hey, uh, how about that segue? <laughs> again, it wasn't as planned out as like a specific building. Like I, I like that you actually had a specific building, but I was thinking we've been talking about Ninja Cats in Japan. We're talking about all the different kinds of things that are in America. We even talked about the Antarctic. We even hinted at something maybe in like in a, in, in Europe, like large Russian ice wasteland, maybe possibly. But I thought, what's going on in South America? And I would figure the closest you get to the equator, there needs to be a last stretch of rainforest that's like a narrow band, maybe close to the equator, that's not even that big, but big enough to be scary, like you wouldn't want to go in there. Somewhat like the ocean, where you look at the ocean and you're like, I don't think I want to go in there because it's full It's full of life. Well, if this is like Dagobah, you take a... a the Amazon rainforest and put it on steroids and it's just like so thickly overgrown and dark and you're hearing large creatures in there and I wouldn't say kaiju big but definitely like dare I say James Cameron's avatar a little bit more like it's, it's almost like another planet in there I don't even know if they'd have to go on any crazy adventures there or or in fact maybe that could even be the central brain location to our uh, plant hero uh, character he's in there that's where he operates from but that's basically a fortress in and of it it's like you talk, want to talk about a fortress. This is like literally a living wall. You cut into it. Nope. It just, you know, grows right back. Up until the prince finally arrives and finds Aurora sleeping deep at its center and uh. it, with a kiss awakens <laughs> it all. Uh. Not, not too far off from, 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 imagine, from how impenetrable I figured it would be. Sure. But yeah, the idea behind it was simply because, again, we talk about it's like a lot of desert. We talked about deserts, oceans, ice, wastelands. But we didn't have a lot of trees, and I know that's because we wanted to really give it that wasteland feeling, the Mad Max feeling. We talked about having the small patches of forest here and there, and in the like the Americas and stuff. But the, like the last rainforest had a, I felt had potential for some really crazy creatures, even if we don't even get to see a lot of them. At least hinting that uh, life has gone on, but it is run amok. So life found a way, did it? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, good reference because I was going to say almost prehistoric in nature. Like it's a primordial soup. I, I thought it was interesting, Tony, you said that you thought we were dealing with a lot of coastal stuff. In my mind, you know, we've, we've talked about the oceans, we've talked about Japan, but those were always as places to eventually see. In my head, it's always been we're dealing with a wasteland. There's like coastal stuff is, is down the line, far, far, far removed from where the lightning dogs make their scene in the wasteland and all that. I've never imagined coasts being a prominent feature of any of the, the locales. Yeah. I, I also imagine the the coastline, the ocean thing coming up a little bit later. I don't know why, but I just I just assumed that when the lightning dogs come to Earth, they pop up at the in, well, you could say Middle America, where it's like they don't even know if there is an ocean. You know, they don't even they they really have no idea. But they're in their trek to find a new place, and maybe that's how they find glampires. I don't know. I mean, we we need we need to figure out again. This is world building, but we need to figure out where glampire is. When do they get to see an ocean, if they do, within the first season even, and uh, where it all lays out? Right, and, and there, there's so much we can do to, to really muck things up. I mean, we this could pertain to when we do microscope for Earth, but um, there's no reason that continents need to be the same shape, need to be in the same place. The poles could have inverted. Who the fuck knows? I mean, you know, if we want Middle America to be the glacial wasteland, then we can probably find a reason that that's happened. If we, we, we want the Amazon to be on the ruins of Stonehenge, you know, we can make that happen. Yeah, good, good. I hear you. No, but, but we also need to nail down the timeline because like in a thousand years, not going to see that much continental shift as you wouldn't say, you know, three million years. Right. But that's, you know. Yes, yes. <laughs> 
And we don't want it to have been that long because that will mean there's no cool architecture left. I guess it might have even just been my frame of reference. I've always pictured this, and it could have been because... And I know that even even when I first pitched this, it was like, you know, the Halloween Jack Manhattan Chase thing. I keep picturing New York and if not New York, then D.C., kind of these these just major East Coast cities might have been just my frame of reference. But that's where that was coming from. Well, there was I, never I anything always, else to tie it there. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I always pictured it being at least recognizable to the viewer just so they have a point of reference, you know, because in a, in a sci fi setting, yeah, we can do whatever we want. But if we can see things that we are familiar with through a new perspective of the lightning dogs that could be humorous or interesting yeah it's it's one of those like what did they use these tunnels for i see the subway sign but was that not also a restaurant how like, big were oh, their sandwiches quick, let's run into the subway we can get away from the tunnel you run in there there's there's no tunnel in here it's just a <laughs> bunch of tables <laughs> the wallpaper is atrocious it still smells of onions and no one knows why <laughs> yeah. be a great tie-in we got to figure out what uh what the what the food of choice is. The turtles had pizza. Oh God, you're right. Sonic had the chili dogs. What do dogs? I mean, dogs like hot dogs, but it'd be a little weird to call them hot dogs. Ham sandwiches. But then again, I just said Sonic had the chili dogs, so um, ham sandwich. <laughs> just a sandwich. <laughs> ham sandwich is boring. Okay. I got I got a terrible idea, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Hit us. There's they, no terrible ideas. They love chocolate. So they'll no. be just, That's a terrible idea. They'll be kids feeding chocolate to dogs, and they'll die. No. <laughs> terrible my idea. Dog, my dog is in the room. We have to make sure that they you... never eat chocolate in the show. Or if they do, they get sick and almost <laughs> die, and it's like a serious close call. No, that could be your, like, art. Because you know how every 80s cartoon show kind of had that one public service PSA, announcement yeah. thing? Where it's like, kids, don't do drugs. This guy, kids all of a sudden getting hooked on Snickers bars, like... <sighs> Um, oh, it's so good. In reality, what do dogs like that's safe for them to eat? They they fucking eat anything, yes. man. I mean, they eat garbage. <laughs> this is true. No cheese. I, I, cheese by itself isn't 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 enough. I mean, if we want to use my dogs for an example, I just had one of them eat two different packages of lip gloss. <laughs> well, no apparent reason. I didn't. They found it. They were like, it smells like strawberries. Tastes enough like strawberries. Here we go. Maybe the joke could be that, like, we take we take the Turtles 90s show's pizza toppings thing to an extreme, and it's not one iconic food, which doesn't help us in, insofar as it won't be iconic, but that the, the, they'll really, when you see them eating something, it'll be fucking weird, and it'll just, it won't make any sense. It'll be like, yo, I got this uh, asparagus and whipped cream sandwich, and... <laughs> or, I, um, I, I dig where that's coming from, but I like the idea that they have a food. Right. We could do kibbles and bits. I don't know. I mean, like, you know, Scooby Snacks and all that shit. Bacon? Uh, I, you, you read my mind. Bacon's oversaturated to all get out. Yeah, but by the time, by the time Lightning Dogs actually comes it'll out... It'll be cool again. Really, that's what I'm saying. It'll be retro. Bacon cheeseburgers. I, yeah. No, you know what? Because that, that ties in a little bit with the chili dogs, it's the toppings from the turtles, and exactly. it's bacon. Holy exactly. trifecta. You mean to tell me there's not a dog on this planet that wouldn't eat a bacon cheeseburger? There's not a dog on this planet that wouldn't eat pretty much anything you put in front of it, especially if it's got some sort of grease with it. But what, a bacon what? I've met some stingy dogs before. What but, if uh, we call them, like, Yip Burgers or something like that? I don't I'll know. Get like out to, of here. Just to, to make some kind of a name, you know, like, oh, man, I'm, I'm dying for a Yip Burger right now. That sounds too close to Yip Burger, and we're not talking about that. <laughs> Aren't we, though? No, no, not yet. We have yet to get to the romance between Nerissa and Pierre. 
Please let's move on. I'm sorry I said anything. <laughs> Yiffing at the speed of dude, lightning. Dude, a, a double yip burger with cheese. I mean, like special yip sauce. Okay, whatever. 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 That, that started it start I was with you and then you just kept putting in the innuendo and it went it went. Well, let them discover it. Just let them just let them discover like they, maybe they don't have cheeseburgers back uh, on uh, on the home planet. And now that they're here, Wolfman Jack is like, man, I can go for a cheeseburger. I'm like, what is that? Well, I'll tell you how to make it. And they start putting it together. And it's like, oh, that would be perfect because cows have mutated to where they're both cow and pig. So you just cook it and it's a bacon cheeseburger right there. I tell you what, I tell you where they don't have something as nice as a bacon cheeseburger, the wasteland. They're missing the bacon cheeseburgers of their home where they slaughtered whatever cow animal it is that they have on that planet. Probably got purple fur. That's true, too. And yeah. Didn't the cow in the Ninja Turtles comic, wasn't it purple? Cuddly the Cowlick was uh, white, brown, beige. Um, okay. I, I remember seeing, it's funny because I remember seeing a purple cow. I just don't well, know where. Cowboys and Moo Mesa, I think one of them was purple. Cowboy, the only thing I really remember about Cowboys and Moo Mesa is the fact that he shot fucking sheriff stars out of his gun, and it was a really cool idea for me to have a vertically shaped firearm. And if they're wandering around being like, okay, how am I going to, there's no, the only cheese is made by bugs. And the only thing that's cow-shaped also has human feelings. You know, they're ultimately on this quest for, what is this meat? Does it taste like the thing that's a bacon cheeseburger to them? You know, like, one of these lightning dogs is a gourmand. One of these lightning dogs is obsessed with food. And... Pierre. And, yeah, Pierre. Yeah, I imagine Pierre's the one who's dying for it. He won't I, shut up about it. <laughs> because you mentioned this, you know, they have human feelings. So I picture one of two things happening. Either we have a very tearful moment where what, this animal realizes it needs to die for the common good, or Pierre is just a dick and starts going up to them and making them feel bad about themselves so they commit suicide so he can eat them. That's, that's a little too dark for me. But that, uh, <laughs> that, that's not, that isn't really, that feels off the mark for, <laughs> for this show. <laughs> that's why I said it was weird. <laughs> I mean, but you, you could easily just say, I mean, with whatever, I mean, we got mutated dogs over thousands of years in the crystal influence. Why not have the mutated cows over a thousand years? What if the, what if the cows still exist, but they're all like minotaurs, you know, like, like if you want to eat a cow, you need to you bring have- down the beast. What if like cows are no longer the happy, docile things, but because they had to get hard or die, they're like, I, w- I don't want to say an Allosaurus, but you know, <laughs> they would be like something that you have to be reckoned with. Wow, shit, man. I, w- I would love to see something as a combination of a bull and an Allosaurus. What about a buffalo? Like, like mid- middle America oh, buffalo? Oh my God. Oh yeah. Megafauna, dude. Yeah. Let's do it. You feel up to that, Tony? Uh, we got a, a buffalo, I- mid- middle America, super buffalo. I think I can handle that. Sitting there like you just, what's that on the horizon? It's got wings. So some the size of banthas. Buffalo's the size of banthas is like what I'm talking so about. So banthas. Yes. Because <laughs> a buffalo the size of a bantha would look a lot like a fucking bantha. Yeah, but give him, you know, he's got hooves, you know, and. Uh, and oh, so uh, in other words, just give a bantha no, a haircut no, so no, you no, can no, see no, its no, feet. No, 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 no. Okay. Start with a dinosaur. Start with a the dinosaur. dinosaur, which is where you buy dinosaurs. Forget about that. Start with a dinosaur. Start with a dinosaur, an allosaurus. Combine it with a bull, and then see what buffalo features you can pull over without it looking like a bantha. And it's funny. I was actually just thinking about this because I concepted a lot of different weird shit. Uh, a lot of it was things with weird heads. <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> I said go what, crazy, gotta... and he actually went insane. Listen, you. I, I started thinking. They, I told you before. They're great figures. villains for the tick. <laughs> no, they're great villains for lightning dogs too. Don't you even mm-hmm. start. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Luke Eyewalker is a fantastic dude. 
Now, I know all the names were jokes. You had a lot of funny names for them. And admittedly, Luke Eyewalker was one of the few things that I felt actually could be shaped into something appropriate to the world of lightning dogs. I 100% agree. Tommy Trout had promise. Which one was that? That was the one with the trout for a head. Oh, the trout for a head. Yeah, no. And, and the it one was with... a dead fish for a head. It wasn't even, wasn't even a fish that could walk. And, and the, one, just... the one with a, a letter T for a head and the one with a banana for a head. I don't know. What were you thinking? What the hell okay. were you thinking? Okay, the T for a head was just the fact that, eh, why not? Let's do something with more of a geometric shape. Maybe it could may, be made out of rock or steel or something like that. I think you were trying to draw a hammerhead shark person and then quit halfway through. <laughs> no, I just started with a letter T and said, let's make this a character. You can't try and tell me what my creative process was. You weren't fucking there! But uh, Banana Head was just uh, thinking of... You the, were hungry the, and you thought of a banana. That was part of it. I uh, was thinking of the, the nature guy and, like, what would this manifest itself as? And what if these various plants and fruits had gained sentience? Would it be a more civilized society or would it be something maybe a little bit more tribal? If it was a little bit more tribal, how would that look? I tell you what it wouldn't be. It wouldn't look... Wouldn't be appealing. Oh! <laughs> I'm sorry. Ben Anna is exceptionally appealing. Nothing involving the plant person will ever necessarily look even remotely recognizable to a human. Like That's perfectly fine. I just it was one of those of like, why not? Let's explore this. Let's take a look. I'd buy that action figure, Banana. I'm so proud of Banana. You guys don't even know. I like the I name. Should. I like the name, Tony. I want you to know I like the name. It's just not Banana and the guy with the T for a head. It was more just spitballing and letting my pen fly free. Well, it's, that's what I want. I want your, your pen in the wind. So uh, just uh, less dudes with different things for a head. I start with a head. It's kind of, as I start these, it's always like, let's draw a head. Okay. And then I guess what's, what's going on well, that, with it from there. Here, here's the thing about that. We just got to make it dirty. We got to make it weird. Everything's got to be yeah. real, real, real different, real funky and feel can, like it's got the same energy as like Toxic Crusaders and Masters of the Universe and all that. I gotta say, yeah. I am excited for the dinosaur buffalo monstrosity. The idea of, oh man, I would kill for like a burger. If only there was like a cow thing, and then it just comes up over the horizon with teeth, and it's after you. So after they kill it in their own defense, it's like, suddenly I don't feel so bad if they eat it. You know, it's like, guys, look, we, we can make burgers for weeks. I kind of pictured like just like this, moo. It's more like the crazy scream at first is the moo. It's the like a howl. Well, I mean, I mean, if, you take, if you take a moo and warp the pitch down and extend the sound, imagine it echoing over a hill. You know what? With, with, with a Tyrannosaurus. I don't know what that was, but it was interesting. And so ends our first new episode of Lightning Dogs. Not with a bang, but a weird vibrating moo. We're so excited to finally pull back the curtain, and we're sorry we waited this long. Never again. From here on out, new Lightning Dogs episodes are coming your way every other Monday. To make sure you get the latest, you can subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, RSS, Stitcher, Audioboom, any way you get podcasts. That's where you'll find us. There's also, of course, our social feeds like Facebook and Twitter, as well as our galleries for art and image posting, Tumblr, Instagram, Furfinity, and DeviantArt. However you connect, we're there. Of course, the best way to keep in the know about Lightning Dogs is via Patreon. There you'll get early access to episodes, high-resolution art, and lots of further behind-the-scenes content sent directly to your email. It's also the only way we're able to continue this project. During our time working on Lightning Dogs Behind Closed Doors, we started paying for additional freelance artists and other fees associated with production and running a business. Through Patreon, not only can you help us become self-sustaining, but you can help make Lightning Dogs a reality. 
We're in this for the long haul, and we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe we'll end up as an independent web series. Maybe we'll find a studio that's interested. But whatever happens, you'll be there with us along the way. And along that road, funding permitting, there's a lot of content we like to create to bring the world of Lightning Dogs to life, like comics and animatics. When we originally recorded this meeting, we assumed that the creation of the Story Bible was right around the corner. Well, spoiler alert, it's not. Much like how we realized we needed to develop the world the Lightning Dogs came from before we could fully know the characters, we discovered further trials and tribulations in the process of developing a project this big from scratch, not only in terms of world building, but business and life too. So hold on to your butts. That said, we're completing the Story Bible right now, and with it has come awesome stuff we've waited years to see, like final character designs for all the Lightning Dogs and Glampire and Halloween Jack. Leading up to the launch of the official podcast, we release them all. So check out the link on this episode's page where you can see them in all their glory, as well as other images we mentioned in this episode. Since this is the launch of this new series, help us make a splash. Please rate and review Lightning Dogs on iTunes. Enough ratings, and we'll become more visible in the podcast sphere and potentially even make the charts as a notable new series. Also time-sensitive to the launch is Patreon. We launched our Patreon through a referral from Nerdy Show. Both this show and the network could see some extra money come our way, depending on how many patrons we get within our first month. For example, if we get 30 patrons in the first month, we'll get 50 bucks, and that amount can increase all the way to $500. So even a dollar a month from you could equal an even bigger gift of starter funds. Plus, you'll help us work towards our goals like hiring Doug full-time, which will enable us to put out the show weekly, or the extra special project we're working towards, having Greg Weissman, creator of Gargoyles, co-creator of Young Justice, review our pitch Bible and advise us on how we should move forward. He's already agreed to do it, but he can't do it for free. So join our pack at patreon.com slash lightning dogs. You'll help us create more content and you'll have a front row seat as we continue the adventures of the lightning dogs. Hashtag Hal Noise. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.